Hello, it is Thursday, Hello. November 7th, 2017 at one o'clock Eastern time, and this is Marketing Live. I am your host, Amy Jorgensen. Today's live broadcast is sharing science stories on social media. Faculty and researchers can be hesitant when it comes to sharing their work on social media. It is up to communication professionals to explain the value of sharing their work. We're gonna hear from longtime social media pro about building trust with some of your most skeptical colleagues scientists. Learn how to take content from conferences and help researchers communicate real science via social media. Marketing Live is part of Higher Ed Live Network. Our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's discussion by tweeting us using hashtag Higher Ed Live. All of our episodes are free and easy to access on the video archives at higheredlive.com or take Higher Ed Live with you on the go by subscribing to our podcast. Thank you to our sponsor, Omni Update. As number one resource students and parents use to research colleges, your website deserves number one web content management system for higher education. Omni Update's OU Campus Web, CMS, is built specifically for higher ed. It is the most higher, it has the most higher ed users, is extremely easy to use, and is backed by award-winning support. Check it out at omniupdate.com. Higher Life is also produced by M. Stoner. Have you ever wondered what prospective teens are thinking when they receive and read or ignore your institution's recruiting messages? The third study in the myth-busting series is first to focus on the complete enrollment marketing mix. We'll discuss the best practices to target teens' needs and interests when building marketing and recruitment plans. Join M. Stoner and NRCCUA during a free webinar on December 12th, 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time to explore where these perspectives converge and differ and how marketers can leverage this knowledge. I would like to welcome our guest today, Andrew Castle, Social Media Admin for the University of Alaska at Fairbanks. Welcome, Andrew. Hello, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. I was just checking the hashtag to see if anybody tweeted anything yet, but no, it's, we'll just have to wait. All right, hi. <laughs> hi. I love his energy already. So again, don't hesitate to ask any questions using hashtag HigherEdLive on Twitter. I'll do my best to ask them to Andrew as they come in, but let's start off with a few questions of my own. So Andrew, tell me yes. about the struggle. <laughs> um, the struggle, as they say, is real. Like the whole thing, you were talking about sharing the importance of sharing real science on social media and building trust with all those things that you were outlining at the beginning. It really takes a lot of work. And um, a little anecdote about the, the difficulties of that. My university is going through um, a big, big budget crunch. Alaska, the state where my state university, it's in the constitution that the legislature has to support the university. It's a founding principle of our state. And Alaska is also very dependent on its resources for state funding, particularly oil. It has been a big, oil state but in the past five six years the price of oil has really gone down which means state funding for our university has been cut and cut and cut many millions of dollars over the past few years and so as the or university was trying to restructure and figure out how can we make best use of our resources that we have um, it was uh, the communications team was a big look at that. Every unit has their own communicator, how they're working together. It's very decentralized, and there was a little bit of an effort to bring it together. But the researchers really felt threatened by that. They felt that only research, only communicators that were working in the research units themselves could effectively communicate the research out to the public and to really do that science communication. And we would go to these meetings where we, the, my whole team 
would hear the scientists and the researchers say, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to do your job. Only we know how to do our job. We don't trust you. And we all came back and we're talking amongst ourselves, like, what don't they understand? Like, our job is to turn stuff that we don't know about, to learn about it, to be able to share that in ways with the public that it's easy to understand. It's what we do. Why can't they see it? And we still don't have an answer for that. Like, it is something that I, I'm assuming, judging from my experience, that communicators all over at every university feel like we want to tell your cool science stories but the researchers feel you don't know enough to share our stories so the things that i have done to try to help build that is to talk to the researchers outside of the times that i want to do a story about them or i want to share their material um, or their findings or their latest paper um, in social situations at the campus parties, like holiday parties are a great time to sidle up to a scientist and say, hey, what's going on? You know, what's, uh, tell me a little bit about what you're doing. And if they hear you, that you're interested, that you want to communicate their ideas truthfully and honestly, but in an interesting way, it goes a long way to building the bridge between the two. But there's still a long, long way to go. And researchers feel so protective of the stuff that they are doing. Um, and their their role in it, that it's really it's a real real difficult thing. It's it's a slow ongoing process, and it's taken me years to get to the point now where they contact me and say, "Hey, we want to talk about this. Can you help us talk about this more?" But I'm still not sure how to solve it. It really, if someone out there in the internet world has some tips about things that they've done, I'd love to hear those things too. Cookies always work. Um, always distribute cookies, treats. I find that is a great way to get people's attention, <laughs> any kind of background, any kind of treat, even if it's just apples and bananas, like here you go, some fruit, just to let them know you care. Um, the other one, because I, I had the exact same problem at the University of Michigan Health System, where we would have uh, these brilliant doctors that are like, oh, we'll just build our own website, or oh, we'll just do this, you know, we, and, and they were fantastic, and so it's like, all right, how about this? We'll start off with just the numbers. Here's a whole bunch of statistics, and if you guys want to communicate yourself, that's fine. Keep doing what you want to do. If you want to build your own website, that's fine. Here's all your numbers. Here's what we can do. We'll do this at the same time, and whatever numbers are best at the end, we'll, we'll go along with that strategy. And if your strategy is better, that works out too. So I think numbers and candy. <laughs> and, so, <those laughs> Data and treats. That's what scientists <laughs> like. Uh, and, and to share this other anecdote, like it's, it's all, building the trust is so important. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a researcher at my university who is involved in a finding that I can't talk about yet because it's still embargoed by the journal that's going to be publishing it. But it's a it's a big huge thing. It's going to be it's going to get a lot of attention. And the scientist reached out to my supervisor, who is the chief public information officer for the university, um, and said, "I want you to handle this communication, not the person that is the the communicator for my department." That's good. Though, so right? some yeah, it's good for my team. But it shows this lack of trust um, that that researcher has with their own department. And yeah. that's worrying to me. Like, if you're trying to work around the person who is actually paid to be getting your word out there, what has gone wrong? What's broken down? Mm -hmm. um, so it makes me think, like, what can I do to help make sure that the researchers I work with trust me? The other thing that happened, and I mentioned as we were chatting before we went live, um, that the American Geophysical Union annual fall meeting is kicking off next week. Last year, um, 
the research uh, vice chancellor of research paid for me and a science communicator to go down to San Francisco where it was happening. Um, we shared from there for a week. It was a brilliant week, amazing week sharing a bunch of science. This year we're like, okay, we did a good job last year. Like we won an award for our coverage of it. Our, our metrics were wonderful. We achieved all of our goals and then some. So we were really looking forward to going back this year. Nothing. Yeah. Like they said, no, actually, we're gonna we're gonna handle it this year. So it's been really difficult for me to say, what did I do? And I'm still talking, like, what did I do wrong? How did I not communicate my success to them? How did I not demonstrate that I would be a great person to go down and do what they wanted to do? But as we had, so we had a whole meeting with them about what do you want to do when you're going down there to the AGU meeting? What are you trying to accomplish? And as we were talking with them about the communications goals that we had last year, we sort of sussed out that communication was not what they were going down there for. They were going down there as sort of a recruiting effort. They were going down because they see this as their private party. They were mm -hmm. going down there for this socializing part, which is a very important aspect of it. But it was not communicating the work that our researchers for the university was doing out there. And it is not to malign their plans. Like um, they, 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 they know what they want to do. And hopefully they're using our examples from last year to do some of the work that to replicate some of that this year. But it's the, that trust is so, so hard to build. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to get past my own ego to be like, well, if you're not gonna send me, I'm not gonna help you at all. Mm. <laughs> to get past that, to be like, okay, I can, what can I do from here? What can I do remotely from Fairbanks while you're in New Orleans mm -hmm. this year? How can I help support it? How can I get past my own frustration of not being there? and embracing the situation, finding a way to make it even better, to yeah. not get dragged down, but to help lift me up. So if the, I, if the trust, hopefully, I'll start bringing a bunch of candy, and that's gonna really help. Oranges, bananas. Oranges, yeah. The researchers, have you noticed, they're like so fit. I don't know what they're doing out there in the field all the time, if it's just because they don't have any food when they're camping on glaciers, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the bicycle riding. I don't know. But at researchers, I'm like, man, you guys, science really keeps you trim. I went in the wrong field for that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in my computer with a donut and a coffee is, oh. you know, egg dog latte these days. It's delicious for me. And then I'm looking at pictures from Antarctica and be like, hmm, there's a disconnect here. <laughs> I'm definitely with you. So can you tell me a little bit about how did your institution feel about you focusing so much on research? So you talked about it from the researcher's side. How does your institution respond to that? They, they love it. They would love a, a bigger focus on that. I think a, a, a words that I hear all the time um, are, we're not telling our story. Mm -hmm. We're not telling our story. And I look at the stuff that I post, I'm like, I'm telling our story every single day in 10 posts a day um but there it's so they would love it it's me trying to find a personal balance for the work that i do to say okay there's other stuff happening at our school if prospective students have decided that the university of alaska fairbanks is a place that they might want to go and they're going to visit some social media sites to sort of get a feeling after they've done all the other stuff that they do the website and all that stuff that they've explored i want them to see a well-rounded university that they sure if even if they're interested in being you know a biochemist or a molecular biologist or a wildlife manager or a, a forest person or an ocean person that there are plays to go to there are music performances to see there's a whole culture at the university that's not just the pure science and then the challenge is to say okay what's happening inside a rehearsal hall for the symphony is research in its own way 
They're researching how to create beautiful music or to create poetry or to communicate better in the communications department or research how to take better photographs. And that the research of the artists is something that I can, I should focus more on and I try. The difficulty is not everybody shares their stuff on social media, so I don't get to see it. Yeah. So if it's not out there, I either can go con create it myself, go to the live concerts and be like, okay, I'm taking this time. I'm going to go and see this stuff. But it's finding this balance and having my own personal goals to make that balance. The institutional goals are really focused on that science side. But I have never met a scientist that doesn't like a good piece of music. Mm -hmm. I've never met a scientist that doesn't like some sort of book to read, nonfiction or fiction. When they're out there in the field or on the ship, or wherever they are, they need to have their brains wind down and they like all of these other things that go along with it. So it's finding a way to say, yes, this research is really important. We are making the world a better place. We're trying to find ways to save our planet and our humans <laughs> as best we can. But at the same time, we wanna read your science fiction novel that you're coming up with <laughs> over there, uh, you know, English undergrad. So it's finding, it's recognizing both of those things are valid to share. And to say, well, the institutional priorities are on the research to make sure that money is coming in. The social media priorities are just a little bit different to make sure it shows this well-rounded campus environment that you can come and not just sit in your lab all the time. But you can also go play humans versus zombies in the springtime. What is humans versus zombies? Oh, my goodness. Uh, so it's a thing that happens on campuses uh, throughout the country. Um, they have, uh, there's a team of humans <laughs> and a team of zombies, and they wear bandanas to indicate if they're a human or a zombie, like the zombies have around their head usually and the humans around their arm. And then they literally have missions that last about a week and uh, they have Nerf guns. <laughs> and they literally have, they chase each other around campus. Um, the zombies try to get the humans, like if they tag them, they become a zombie. There's a whole <laughs> online support. You can really see how many zombies are, are, are coming on your campus, how many humans are left, and the missions are like, can you get the cure to this building in time? It's really, really exciting. The one, the thing, so we're talking about humans versus zombies, the one thing is it is a little distressing, especially if if there's something bad that happens on a campus. Oh, yeah. And then on your campus, you've got people running around with Nerf guns and stuff shooting at each other. It can be sort of a um, discordant at times. But students love it. It's a really exciting thing. Uh, there are rules like you can't shoot inside buildings, like you have their places set up. Um, mm -hmm. But it's happened at my school uh, for about five years now, and people really love it. It's part of the, it's just <laughs> part of the springtime, springtime thing that happens. So it sounds like just having a balance on social media is important altogether, whether it's zombies or perhaps research on zombies. Um, maybe there, that's, that's, a, that's a traditional Halloween thing that the, the uh, Institute of Arctic Biology people through was like, how, do, how would zombies really work? Or how do vampires really work? Uh, so yeah, that def, that's definitely. And one of the other things is because it's this holiday season, uh, we have researchers that look into reindeer, caribou, all those sort of Arctic animals that are very popular around Christmas time. And so it's a real chance to, this is a great chance of a way to talk about um, using things that are happening in our society to tie in with the research that happens on your campus. Okay, so we do have those, yeah, so we've got those, rain, we've got the reindeer. We can say, this is the difference between a reindeer and a caribou. This is how reindeer work. Reindeer probably don't fly that we know of. And if someone's watching who has a young child there, of course they fly. 
Reindeer are magical. Trust me, I see the scientists tell me. But it's a great way, like, because I have the reindeer every year. We have the reindeer researchers, and then there's that NORAD Santa tracker where they have the Twitter thing where you can watch Santa go all around the world. And so it's That's a great what I was chance. Ask. Like, your very secret research you're not allowed to talk about is it about Santa? Like, is that the, is that the big, like, just you cracked it? BL, but is it about yes. Santa? <laughs> It is about Santa, because North Pole is about 15 miles west of me, literally the town of North Pole is right over there, Santa lives right there, and I think that he's got some really important climate change research that he's been noticing, he's been collecting data throughout the years, as he's been traveling on the same night every year, so it's good comparison, that's it, you got it, oh my god, I can't believe stuff. That's your research, all right, hopefully they don't watch this podcast and, and don't listen to the podcast, so we'll, we'll keep it on the DL. <laughs> But it is it is a great way. I mean, the, one of the, the the thing to talk about from that is to know where the stuff is um, throughout your institution's website that you can pull that information easily. Usually at holiday time, I'm visiting my parents' house, which is I'm working remotely for a couple hours a day, and so I don't have all the resources right there in my hand. So I've got to know where they are digitally. I know where the reindeer pictures are. I know where the articles about how reindeer babies are born. I know where that stuff lives, and so I and I've already usually shortened it on my link shortener. And so I just grab that and it's good evergreen content to share throughout the year. So it's a, it's a big stress on knowing where to find this stuff. And that's a great adventure for any sort of social media admin to go on is where are these researchers putting this information to share? Many researchers have their own personal blog mm -hmm. because one of the things um, that I talked about at High Ed Web is that researchers don't feel a real strong connection to your institution. They just don't. It's unfortunate, but from my experience, they feel connected to the people who are giving them money, the National Science Foundation or you know, Scripps Oceanography or wherever their funding has come from. Those are the people that they feel really, really connected to. And so they're always creating their own CVs, their own blogs, their own websites where they post all their research pictures. So if you could find these places, that's where a lot of these beautiful photos because I work with scientists who do a lot of Arctic and Antarctic and climate change research. So they're going to volcanoes, they're going to glaciers, they're going out in the middle of the ocean, they're going under the ocean. I know that they're out there finding these cool, cool pictures and they usually don't send them on to their own department communicators because mm -hmm. they don't trust that they can get it out there in the right way. So they have these, like there's Erin Pettit, who is a glaciologist who is based at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. She's a National Geographic young explorer. She does all these amazing things. She was part of this discovery team that found out what the blood falls in Antarctica are all about. Like if you're not familiar with the blood falls in Antarctica, Google that because it's beautiful, amazing, scary pictures of like <laughs> walls of ice with red water that just literally flows through and freezes down. And they found that there's these weird tubes in the ice that move this sort of copper stained water. Anyway, all this really cool. cool stuff that's out there, but I don't see it on their department website. I don't see it on their Facebook page. I see it on her website. So if you are out there wondering where all this research material is to share, it's right there on their websites. I usually share it, I copy it, I definitely give credit back to them, I link right back to their website, this is the place where I got it, this is the person who took the picture, all of that information, that good hard information that scientists really, really depend on and trust. But because I've had the luxury of years 
to explore and find those places. I can pull from it and curate it as I need to. So that's a big, big thing uh, for any social media admin out there who's wondering, how can I share about the science that my institution is doing more effectively? It's to find those little hidden caches of content that you can just say, okay, I know that's there when I need it. I'll pull a picture out of it. There's another guy, his, um, oh, I can't remember his name right <laughs> in the moment, but uh, Mark Condi is his name. And he uh, is um, uh, atmospheric researcher. So he's gone to Norway and he had these beautiful pictures of the Aurora and this weird remote, like not United States research institution, these weird sort of science fiction looking buildings. So he's a photographer and a scientist. So imagine, I think you just take a moment to oh imagine my. the possibilities. Yes, yeah. beautiful pictures. So it's a place that I know we're like, oh, okay, I need some metrics this week. My metrics are down a little bit. Oh, I'll go grab an Aurora picture from Mark Condi and I'll share that. There's 200 likes right away. That's great. So really bump up those metrics. So yeah, it's just knowing, it's finding those places. And it can be difficult. It takes a little bit of time, but they're out there. They are out there. So can you explain to me the difference between science communication and science outreach? Mm, I can. I stop because it's a touchy subject with me. Okay. Why would you bring that up? Anyway, um, <laughs> so I was, there was a, at my institute many things, like a couple of years ago, there was Week of the Arctic or Arctic Science Summit Week where they were bringing all these climate change researchers together because climate change has now become this thing that a lot of people are talking about. A lot of businesses and politicians and governments are really talking about it and really taking it very seriously, the Paris Climate Accords, the individual cities in the United States now are really focused on, we want to make this thing better. And so the scientists at my institution have been studying climate change for literally decades, and they're like, great, now is the time that we can share all this work. We've been waiting for you to guys to ask about it. Now we've got all this stuff. Let's tell you about how doomed we are. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, because, well, we are, it's true. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, it's, it's, we are, we are. Um, um, so I was involved in these meetings, and at these meetings, I'm sitting around like, I can't wait. This is going to be a great chance for me to do science media, some social media stuff, we do Instagram Live, Facebook Stories, all that sort of stuff to really show what's going on at these weeks. So I sat there at these meetings where we were planning out the communications plan for the Arctic Science Summit Week, or the, and so I sat there and like, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this and this, and they, all the other people around the table looked at me and they're like, that is not what you are here to do. You are not here to do that. The things that you are talking about is what science communicators are going to do. You are not a science communicator. And I was offended and shocked because uh, I was like, I have my metrics. I, could, I communicated about science to over a million people last year. It's right here in my spreadsheet. You know, who, who listened to the stuff that you did? And so I took a, it really took me back and I was really upset by that. And I sat around in my office and I did some Googling about what science communication was. And I realized that what I was doing on social media was science outreach. Science communicators talk to scientists and then they write that information up in a way that it goes to journalists, to legacy media or traditional media, print media, however you wanna call it. So they're trying to talk to the scientists and get the media to cover their work on the newspaper or on TV or on their blogs or whatever like that. So that's what a science communicator is trying to do, to bridge the gap between a scientist yeah. and the legacy media. Science outreach, which once I sort of the light bulb went off and I got again past my own ego, I realized the joy and the beauty of what I do, which is to make science interesting, 
entertaining and informative and true and real science for people to get right in the palm of their hands just for a moment. Like they can see it. If they see a post that I make and I'm like, hey, this is something really cool. You should pay attention to it. This scientist is doing this. Now I have brought that science not to a journalist who's going to write it up and then post it in some paper that might get read. <laughs> uh, but I'm putting it in someone's social media news feed, either a beautiful picture on Instagram or a link to a story on Facebook, letting communicating with someone like why this is important to you, how this makes your life better, how this makes our world better, how the money that you are paying in taxes to the state or to the United States are being used to explore all these things. This outreach efforts are much more important in my mind now than science communicating because it's making it real for people and connecting with people it's like what bill nye does or uh, neil degrassi tyson like what they they do a lot of science outreach they're turning the work that they have into something that anybody can understand and figure out how it relates to your everyday life and that is so important for researchers they are really really bad at that like they know why it's important. That's why they've devoted their lives to it. That's all that they do is this research into why bears. Oh, so we have this great thing about ground squirrels and hibernating. Like Arctic ground squirrels, they go in the and they hibernate over the winter time because it's super super cold. So they stay in there. They lower. They literally go into cryogenic sleep in the, so cool. in their little burrows and they little freeze and they're really tired. And then they wake up in the springtime. They shake themselves awake. It's, <laughs> it's super cute. It's super cute that they sort of shake themselves awake and then they wake up and they go out. Um, so they're studying like how the how the cryogenics of the squirrels work. So eventually the research will lead to cryogenics for humans to go on space travel to Mars or even beyond that. And so it's trying or to help with trauma patients. How can they chill their bodies down to make sure that they can stay alive? So all this stuff is great, but people who are devoting their lives to just the squirrels, they need people to say, oh, okay, yeah, you might not understand why the squirrel is important, but if your child gets in a bike accident and the paramedics are able to show up and immediately inject them with some sort of serum that lowers their body temperatures and puts them into this cryo sleep, you're going to be very thankful that the researcher in Fairbanks was studying these squirrels. So when I get that squirrel stuff, I try to say in the descriptions, this is gonna be saving lives in the future. And here's why this research is important. And so that outreach lets someone know, okay, I wanna support that. I wanna let my legislators know that they need to support this ground squirrel research because I don't want my kid dying in a you know a park accident, sliding down the slide. So making that connection is really, really important. The outreach is great, it's fun. Uh, the scientists love it because every single grant that they get includes an outreach component. If the National Science Foundation is giving someone $100,000 to go study something, they want to make sure that everyday people understand why it's important, why the money is being spent on that. And so if you are struggling with ways to communicate with a researcher to get stuff started, don't say that you want to tell their story. Don't say that you're going to try to, oh, your new finding is coming out. Just say, hey, I'd love to help you with your outreach for your next project. Include me in that. And they'll be like, great, I love that because I don't have to think about that. Yeah. I don't have to think about it. Uh, I'm waiting for the day when I get written into a grant for outreach <laughs> and I can go. There's a volcanologist. His name is Peter Webley. He's a great, great person. Um, only remind me to talk a little bit more about him in a moment, but he goes to Italy every couple of years to study volcanoes or all over the world. And I'm like, hey, man, just write me in. I'll go with you on your trip. You know, outreach person. Just <laughs> I'll go to Italy. Yeah, just a little line item. 
but that so that leads me into this whole other uh, description. So he is great on social media. Like he is already a really good social media user as a scientist. He does this really good outreach for himself. He really connects it. He's one of his big passions is when volcanoes erupt, they send that big ash cloud into the atmosphere and it can really impact uh, airline travel and people getting places and things getting places. So he's really trying to find ways to do early alert systems and really, he wants to really help the world is what he wants to do. And so he's really good at social media. So when I need someone who is good at social media, who understands what I do, who is a good researcher and who communicates well, he has this also lovely British accent, which is, you know, wonderful to talk to all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's finding people in your schools, in your institutions that are already doing social media. They are true champions for what you want to do. They already get what's going on. You don't have to explain the, explain the importance to them. You can latch onto the work that they're doing and help to expand your own work. So look out there for the people that are already sharing on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, if they've got the blogs that they're doing. You know, if they're already strongly involved in social, that's training you don't have to do. You just have to look, you can share their content with permission, of course, but then when you need someone to do a Facebook Live with you, you can say, hey, I'm gonna come over there, can we do a Facebook Live real quick about this thing? They'll know exactly what's going on, they'll know how long it's gonna take, and they'll be willing to work with you. So that, those, that's the other thing is, find, so finding the websites out there that has the content that you can curate from, and then it's making those connections from the researchers that are already doing social media. So you don't have to be like, oh, next time you go out in the field, how about you start a Twitter account and tweet from the field? And the yeah. scientist looks at you like, I have no time to do yeah. that. I'm collecting data, I'm sleeping, like, I know you will have time, but I don't have time to tell you how you have time. But so find the people that are out there and be like, hey, can you do my Snapchat takeover for the week that you're in the field this summer? Can you do the Instagram takeover for this week when you're going on this glacier? And they will, they're really excited about it. They wanna participate in that way. So it's really, really helpful to connect with those people that are already using social media at your campuses. Really helps with your science outreach efforts because they get it. They get it, and you don't have to try to train them and explain to them why it's important. And I love how you stay so audience focused. And I have to be honest, when you were talking about mm. the squirrels going to cryogenic sleep, all I could think of was the answer for you why you care as an audience member, um, Futurama. That's all you have to do is watch Futurama <laughs> and you'll get it. <laughs> this is why baby squirrels sleeping and hibernating is so important. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's a great check, you know, I could use. Bring Futurama back. <laughs> Yeah, I find I can find a little gif of Fry waking up in his cryotube and being like, "This is the future that we're making." And yeah. so you find out more with a link here, and then you go like, "What are they talking about?" Yeah, it's great. Yes, exactly. It's exactly. It's making those pop culture is a great way. Like because of the Arctic and climate change, Game of Thrones, huge, huge. You know, great. The winter is coming. The wall. All this sort of cold stuff. There's so many puns, so much happens so often. Every year when the snow comes, I've stopped doing it, I will say. But, <laughs> You're like, I'm in Alaska, it's always coming, it's always here. <laughs> it's true, but the campus photographer loves it. And every year when the first snow comes, winter is coming, I'm like, okay, great. But yeah, it, it is. <laughs> It, it, you're right. It's making those connections between, like, how are we studying something that helps with time travel? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Are we studying things that help with, you know, and then you connect it with, or superheroes or all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, finding those pop culture connections is a great <laughs> way to connect the, the work that's going on and in a way that people can understand. I love that. So, what is your favorite science topic to um, do outreach on? 
Oh, my favorite. Um, the one that gets volcanoes, I think, uh, is something that I really, really love. Those get great engagement. Um, we have a, there's a series of webcams that my school has. So I go and look at the volcanoes and I try to gift from there, but volcanoes are really, really fun. Oh my fit. <sighs> volcanoes are great. But I think if I had to pick one that is something that I really think is important that I really love sharing about, it's the, it is climate change. It really, really is that. And it's all the things around that. Um, I mentioned AGU before and I'll use that as an example. Again, last year when I went to AGU, um, I talked to several of the poster presenters. Poster sessions are a big thing at AGU. And so as I was talking to the poster presenters, one poster was about um, the increasing, um, um, uh, rainfall happening in Alaska. Uh, mm. So it's wetter and wetter and wetter. And then there was a presentation about how trees uh, suck up a lot of that water, use it in their in the, their lifestyle of the trees. And they suck up the water and they breathe it out into the atmosphere. So the trees are doing their thing. And then there was another poster about how there's more wildfires than ever before. And a lot mm. of the forests and stuff are being devastated by the wildfires. And so putting all those pieces together, if the, it's, it's wetter and the trees use that water, but then the fires are burning down the trees, what's gonna be taking that water out of the system? Nothing. So that means more flooding. Mm -hmm. So it was not something that one person put together, but by, put, by drawing all the presentations to their logical conclusion, means we're doomed. But it, what it means is that by I can share all of those pieces and I can put that together for the audience to say, this is something you should know about, that it's gonna be rainier, there's gonna be less trees to take that water out of the system, and it's just gonna keep on going around and around and around and around. Yes, mm -hmm. wildfires are a natural part of how the world works, they just are. But like what's happening in California and all that stuff down there, that is highly unusual, that's mm -hmm. different. And so what has caused that to happen? So I think if there was, it's hard, it's not one area, it's sort of all the areas are put together uh, to share about climate change and know. I've finally gotten to the point where I'm confident to post that I don't try to equivocate in my climate change posts. Like I try to come out and I say, this is something that is real. This is something that humans are deeply involved with, something that we can do something about. We can slow it down. We can't change it. We can't. I'm sorry to be a doomsayer about it and keep bringing it up, uh, but it is something that you should know if you're gonna be sharing about science, is that all like the hurricanes that happened last summer, the wildfires that are happening now, that is gonna be a regular part of our lives for 10, 20, 30 years, and it's only gonna get worse. And so the engineers that are working on your campuses are going to have to figure out ways to cope with that, to have buildings that are more resilient. And I think that's a big, big, big catchphrase that I've heard so much about is the resilience, the need to develop these resilient efforts. But you asked if it, what my favorite was, and it is to do the outreach about climate change, to let people know that, um, especially here in Alaska and everywhere, what happens in the Arctic doesn't stay in the Arctic is one of the one of the things that Arctic scientists like to say. Mm -hmm. And so it's the really it's my efforts are to let the world know that this is something that we should be worried about, concerned about. That even if you and I, who are later on in our lives, we're not up in our fifties and sixties yet, but we're in our thirties and our forties. For us, 
life is going to be pretty normal for the rest of our lives. But for the people that are coming after us, the world is going to be a very, very different place. And so it's preparing those people to know that, to recognize, because it happens so slowly. So it's really to focus on those sort of efforts. So climate change science is my favorite <laughs> science to do outreach for, because it really is so important. Well, and I love how you are able to take a topic that you, you know, are passionate about and you're interested in and able to deliver in a way to, you know, other people and, and simplify it in a way that, like, you know, we all can understand it. And it raises so much awareness, which hopefully brings back more money and research funds for the, the you know, the the faculty and researchers that are at your university. So it's, it's all kind of a, a wonderful circle of, you know, it's like not telling their story, but of like, hey, this is really important and check this out. And I didn't know about the squirrels and I didn't know about um, the, uh, what you tell the, the, the blood uh, glacier? The blood falls. The blood falls. I'm gonna have to go the check that falls. out. Um, I love <laughs> Borealis, but I'm gonna be more likely to go check. I didn't know about ALS until a couple of years ago when they did the ALS challenge. So it's it's a way of being able to put out different types of messages that attract people and raise awareness to hopefully really make change and influence and, and better the lives of the researchers and, and give them more resources so they can do more important work. I love that. It, yeah, oh, here's, I've, I just Googled the blood falls real quick while you're talking. I don't know if you can see them. They're on the, they're looking, they're super horrifying. spooky. <laughs> yeah, they are, hard, but they're super cool. Um, no, like it's it is all, all part of that, and like every single every single post helps tell their story. Mm. Every single post talks about the work that they're doing. Every single post helps put the word out there. Like I had this example that I, I've used uh, for recruiters, and I, I'll say it that before I go into the story that I tell. Everybody always looks at me like I'm crazy by the time I get to the end of the story, but I'm going to go along with it anyway for you right here. So imagine if you will. <laughs> so I make a post um, about the importance of, you know, the thawing permafrost. Um, and it's a really fun post and it looks really cool and it's really engaging and someone really likes it. And that someone happens to be uh, a young person who is sitting around the breakfast table, the dinner table with their parents, and they see this cool thing and they're like, hey, this is really cool work that's happening up at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Look, they're finding out about how these ground squirrels are uh, thaw themselves out after cryosleep. And so the parents are there and they hear that like, huh, but one of those parents also happens to be a decider for mm -hmm. a grant funding agency. And that grant funding agency has a grant proposal that comes to the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And so they see that come in, they're like, oh, my kid really liked the work that they are doing. I have to decide between these two grants, which are equally valid, which one do I give it to? Well, UAF really entertained my kid, so that person gets the money. Yeah. So I, I am confident <laughs> that that scenario has played out in some form or fashion over the years. They have to decide how that money goes somehow. Ultimately, it's a human decision. Mm -hmm. And if the work that I do can help influence that decision, exactly like you said, it means that a scientist gets more funding. Or if the funding agency says, well, what are they doing for their outreach? How are their outreach efforts? What's it like on their school's Facebook page? Have they shared about it on a Facebook? Where was the last place that they went and shared about it? So if they can go and they can see that the institution supports that their, their work and is really putting that stuff out there, 
then they will support the scientist itself. And I don't think that that's ever anything that could be measured. I'm fairly certain that no funder from the NSF is gonna call me up and say, hey, that Instagram post that you made that showed the researcher out there, you know, pumping hot water into the glacier to get a core sample really entertained my 12 year old. So I made sure that they got funding next time. Keep up the good work. I don't think that that's gonna happen. It's just knowing how people work. It's this mm -hmm. understanding of how decisions are made, how choices get made, and to be able to contribute to that in my way. Well, and you don't know what you post that may get shared with someone else that might get shared with someone else. Like, I don't live in Cincinnati. I think I've traveled through there a couple times, but I know what's happening with Fiona the hippo. You know, it's like, I know about her. I, I follow her. I think she's fantastic. And I bet you their funding and support of their programs has increased because of the knowledge of this adorable little baby girl hippo. You know, so I think that's a really good point of like, you know, who does this end up, you know, impacting because of, I want to see, I'm going to go look on your, your webpage. I would like to see um, some baby squirrels is what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm going to go look on your Facebook and if you don't have it, I'm going to be sad or, or Instagram. I'm going to check it out. But some Okay, I better uh, get on it now that I've mentioned it. I'll be sure to post something on the UA Fairbanks channels about the cryogenic sleeping ground squirrels really quick here. Can I do it? Well, can I look at the camera? No, you can do it. I'll give you until next week, but I would love okay. it. It sounds so cute. I want because I want to share it with people of check out these adorable little squirrels. They're they're Futurama. That's all you need to know. Yes. Baby squirrels equals Futurama. If you if you help the baby squirrels, we will get Futurama back. <laughs> I will. I will actually. I'll post about it today when I get back to the office after my other adventures this morning. I will be sure to share about those ground squirrels. I have. I have lots. And you of don't stuff have to. I'm that. just kidding. But that's no, no. It's, it's a good reminder. It's a good reminder to to share. I haven't shared about the squirrels in a while, so it's a good reminder to do that. Feeling cold, getting ready to hibernate over the Christmas break. You're not the only one. Look at these squirrels out there. Yeah, they have to when they, when they take them when they take them out of the freezer at the research place. They have to blow on them so gently. Start waking them up. They literally, anyway. That's how I want to be woken up in the morning. Just someone just holding me, just be like, it's okay. <laughs> you have to go to work today, but it's all right. <laughs> Hashtag, I am the ground squirrel. Yes, and you need to have a whole bunch of students be like, I am the squirrel. I am so cold right now. I am the squirrel. <laughs> I know just the picture I'm going to share. Okay, great. <laughs> I love it. Well, I want to thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us today and giving us your oh, answer. Oh, okay. This is awesome. All right. Um, and I'd Go like to hang out. What? No, no, I just it's so great. It's so great talking and chatting. I love it. I love it. Thank you for giving me the, the opportunity. I love to talk about the work that I do. I love to talk uh, about sharing about science. It's a big passion of mine. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. And I'd like to also thank our program sponsor, Omni Update. And to everyone watching, I hope you have a good day. <laughs>